I really wasn't sure how to do it. Like, how do you actually leave this culture that's been a part of your life your whole life? I just couldn't envision the practicalities of that. For me, it was a real grieving process. I almost view this like an act of a good Samaritan, helping people down a path that can be really painful and helping them figure out how to make it through. I found this this community and I found a space that's normalized my experience. There are a lot of people who have been down this path before you. There will be a lot of people coming after you and it's okay. There is a light at the other end. We are not intending to talk anyone out of the church. This is for people who've already decided they've left. This is for the wardless. You're listening to Wardless, a post-Mormon field guide, a podcast addressing the challenges and practicalities of navigating life after Mormonism, because leaving the church can be a little bit peculiar. Join us as we explore the path away from Mormonism and examine what it means to be Wardless. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Wordless Podcast. My name is Chloe, and I'm going to be moderating and participating today as part of our panel discussion. And I'm super excited because we're talking about a subject that I am the expert in in the panel, which is being single. Uh, And we've got a couple guests because no one else on the panel is single. So it's just me, and we've got Beth with us. Hi. And Josh. Hello. And we will get to their stories in just a moment. Before we get started, we just want to say thank you so much to all of you for listening and sharing your ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. People are finding us, and we love being able to help all of you as we navigate this post-Mormon experience together. So thank you so much, and keep doing it. Go give us ratings and reviews. It helps people find us. For today, as I said, we don't have a regular panelist, and we are going to be talking all about how to navigate post-Mormon life as a single adult, which term I hate so much. (laughs) I never want to say it again, but it's true. That's what we're called. (laughs) And so we're going to start out, we're going to do this and split this up a little bit because there's a couple of things that we want to cover. One is just the experience of leaving as a single adult in terms of community and what that's like. And then the other part is all about what it's like to date as a heathen. So we're going to jump in and I am going to have our two guest panelists introduce themselves. And Beth, if you could go first and just give us your background, your experience Mm -hmm. with Mormonism, broad overview. All right. Well, I was born into a Mormon family. My dad's a convert. He joined the church a long time before he met my mom. My mom's like sixth generation, like Utah pioneers. Um, I never grew up in Utah and neither did either of my parents. So I feel like I didn't see all of the Mormon culture when I was a kid. Um, Some of that came later. But anyway, we went to church every Sunday. We always went to state conference. I went to BYU. I went on a mission. I did all the things, basically. You did all the things. Mm-hmm. And did you attend a single adult ward, a mm-hmm. YSA ward at any point? Yes, I attended YSA wards from, well, age 18 to 30. And then did yeah. you get kicked out? No, I left before they kicked oh, me out. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you so much for that background. And Josh, let's hear you. Yeah, so I uh, grew up in in Washington State and 
was born into a Mormon family. My parents were both converts who joined the church in Los Angeles, where they grew up, and they were each the only member of their family to join the church. So we were kind of a faithful little Mormon family embedded in a bunch of heathens, to (laughs) use your word. And I was very believing in orthodox and went to BYU because I was afraid to go to any, I didn't even apply to any other universities except BYU, Idaho. Um, (laughs) And so I landed in Provo and aside from my uh, mission was there for a long time and living in that particular bubble of Mormondom. So, Josh, what about your experience attending? Obviously, you both went to BYU. I went to BYU. At BYU, you're attending a student ward. What about afterwards? Did you attend a YSA ward? And did you graduate? I'm using quotation marks. Did you graduate from the YSA ward? Uh, Yeah, I basically went through the YSA system, I guess you could call it, for as long as I felt like I was allowed. But uh, So you were one of those guys. I was one of those guys. No, I no, I was not because I think uh-huh. when I was thirty two or thirty three, I was like, "Look, I know that I want to get out of here before they kick me out." Yeah. So mm-hmm. that was when I I started going to a regular ward, and that was um, that was actually kind of an eye opening change to me that the rest of the church is different from the young, relatively liberal YSA wards I had been in. Anyway. So maybe that actually is a great segue to talk, to have you start talking through kind of what led you out of the church. Yeah. uh, When people ask me that question, I feel like there are 1,000 answers because there's so many different reasons. Um, I know that as early as high school, I was kind of doubting some aspects of the church. Had a few Baptist friends who uh, definitely challenged me on things. And, and I realized at that time that I didn't have a clear testimony of the truthfulness of the church, and I pretty much spent the next 20 years looking for that until somehow I finally decided that it was never going to happen. Uh, but coming back to BYU after my mission, I was suddenly in this world of doubts that I, I guess was probably related to uh, my mom's death just before. Mm. And I turned at that time to like apologetic materials and just trying to like muster the best defenses I could of the church on my own and sort of followed that pattern for a long time. But it just seemed that issue by issue, kind of the ground of my belief in the church was eroded over years until there was no longer much room to stand on. And that, I think, really kind of came to a crisis following uh, my dad's passing away about um, five years ago. And that was sort of the moment when I I started to... That and shifting into the regular family ward and, and seeing the difference there from what I was used to just kind of opened my eyes to that I I didn't feel like I fit in the church anymore. And I had such extreme doubts about its truthfulness and the reality of God and everything after what happened to both my parents that 
I, I really started to consider for the first time not fully engaging with the church. And I just remember the first Sunday I did not go to church just out of choice. Was It was such an extreme moment in my life. I just kind of sat there in my apartment and and had my eyes shut. And it was like I was just so full of shame that I wasn't at church, but I just, I couldn't go that day. Um, yeah. I, so now it's, I like, I'm listening to your story and it's just so interesting. And I can so relate to that fit piece, just as far as not feeling like you fit in anymore, especially after being in kind of the bubble of the YSA experience. So thank you. That's, that gives us some great background. Separately, I'm really sorry about your parents. I know. I mean, my, <laughs> like, my mom passed away when I was 18, and so I like can relate to it. But man, that's it, rough. It's, it's crappy to have that family history because then it's like, it's a, such a downer for, <laughs> for everybody to hear about it. Yes. All right. Josh, thank you so much for sharing your background as far as yeah. kind of where you were at when you left. Beth, what led you out? Well, um... This is a hard question to answer. Uh, Part of that is because I know my mom is worried that she wasn't a good enough mother, and that's why I'm not in the church anymore. But the truth is that some of the ways that she modeled thinking and acting and making decisions was part of what led me out. She encouraged me to question everything. She didn't teach me to be particularly submissive or or bending to authority. And then also my dad grew up in this super liberal Southern California families, and he was the youngest with two older sisters. And so the dynamic between my parents is not what you kind of see the typical like Mormon nuclear family with the dad being the patriarch and making all the decisions and the mom like decorating stuff or whatever. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, It was so strange once I started to realize that other Mormon families weren't like mine. But mostly, I have a really hard time with black and white thinking. To me, everything's gray. And for a long time, I was kind of cruising on that. Um, I studied some postmodernism, the idea of relative truth, like So maybe the things that I'm learning at church are true in one sense, even if they're untrue in another sense. Oh, my gosh. Yes, I can so relate to that. So can I. Right? Those mental gymnastics. Mental gymnastics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then when I went on a mission, I found myself feeling like I didn't want to force Mormonism on people, which is awkward because that was my whole job. Yep. (laughs) And... I don't know why I stayed so much longer after that. I know it was partly because of the family ties. Every single member of my immediate family but me is an active member of the church. All my cousins on my mom's side, my cousins, my aunt, my uncle, grandparents on that side, they're all active Mormons. I had no no model in my family for leaving the church. And it really would set me apart, especially as the oldest. And I'm supposed to be the example. Be the example, yeah. So that kept me in for a long time. But I finally just felt like I was doing something that was making me incredibly unhappy, supporting policies that I disagreed with. And I was just doing it to make my mom happy, which just wasn't enough of a reason anymore when I was 30. 
Yeah. Thank you both for that context. Super helpful. And now we're going to jump into the discussion about how to navigate post-Mormon life as a single individual or a single person. So as I said, we're going to split this into two parts because I really feel like there's leaving just normal life and there's leaving dating. So let's talk first about the normal life aspect. Mm -hmm. What has been hard about leaving for you? And maybe we'll start with Josh. Um, The hardest thing has definitely been the loss of instant social network, no matter where I go. Yeah. I relied on that completely for my entire social world for a long time. And I think that especially living in Provo for a long time, I had the, I guess, put it in quotes, luxury of not even having to have the skills of interacting with very many people who aren't church members. And even at work where I would interact with some people who were not members of the church, it was still just so permeated with the Mormon context that you're still kind of in Mormondom, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so I I just have realized that there's a whole skill set of like practical skills for navigating the non-Mormon social world that I don't have. Yeah. Even something as simple as like, um, and maybe this verges into into dating, but it's something as simple as getting somebody's phone number. I was so used to almost everybody I interacted with being in my ward and automatically having their phone number. And so I've been just trying to devise and scheme, like, how do I do that without it being too weird and all this stuff that Mm -hmm. probably... Most people have that skill more developed, but at least in my circumstances, I didn't need it. Well, and it's even true. It's not just dating, right? It's even true just for making friends. Mm -hmm. Like you have a ward directory and you can text people and you can make plans at church and it doesn't have to be really intentional, right, to be social. And I saw you, Beth, nodding (laughs) as Josh was talking. So what about your experience well, I, I was just really agreeing with the asking for someone's phone number. It took me a little while to just say, hey, we should hang out sometime. Can I have your number? And not just for dating, like just to make a friend. Yeah. But <laughs> it it's strange to not just you hear someone give a talk and they said something interesting. So you go look up their number and text them and now you're friends. Which if, if you think about it, we're so weird that we did that, right? Yeah. Like that's so weird to just, I would never just, even if I had someone's number, I probably wouldn't just use it without like some acknowledgement that it was okay that I used their number yeah. Yeah. Right? along those lines. Um, so for you, Beth, was that also the thing that you would say was the hardest or was there something else? Well, it, it relates to social networking, but not as much about finding people to hang out with as much as things like when I needed a new job. I used to be a high school teacher and I just burnt out in the middle of year seven. Just, I did not want to do it again. And I realized I have almost no one that I can talk to and say, hey, is anyone hiring? And then think more practical things like getting help moving or <laughs> when I <laughs> when I had gallbladder surgery, the ward wanted to help me and I didn't, really want them to help me, but I also really needed help. Yeah, yeah. You know, that was after I left. 
Yeah. And it's, you know, I think a lot of people and we've talked in multiple episodes and and in a lot of the Becoming Wordless episodes that community, that missing of community is huge. I wanted to talk about specifically in the context of being single, Mm -hmm. because you really don't, you really don't have any community Mm -hmm. anymore. Right. I stayed active in the church in when I was living in Hong Kong because my whole community was Mormon. Mm-hmm. And that's how I met people and that's who helped me. And they were lovely, lovely mm-hmm. people. I'm still friends with them. They still are lovely people. But I couldn't leave. Like mm-hmm. I just couldn't do it. I was living overseas. I had no family. I had only my friends that I met, you know, through church. I had coworkers, but I was still trying to navigate how I wanted mm-hmm. life to be. And so even hanging out with coworkers was a little a little challenging, but that community piece is so hard. Um, as you think about it, and I know we're still all kind of figuring this out, what has helped you or what have you done to help fill that hole that now exists where we used to have our Mormon community? Well, I don't know if I'm the best example for right off the bat, but I I went almost immediately into a relationship, not with someone with someone I knew before, but so then his friends became my friends. And so I kind of just just rolled with that for a couple of years until the relationship ended. And then I realized, oh, I have to make friends. So and it turns out that a lot of my friends even now are people that I knew from church who are also ex-Mormon now. Yeah. You know, we we spent our whole lives in this community where we had these shared values, shared experiences. And so I still crave those shared experiences, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I totally agree with that. And I would say that that kind of uh, would be one of my answers to what to do about the loss of that community would be that you're kind of still part of it, that being a member of the Mormon tribe, even when you feel like you've been kicked out or can't or don't fit there anymore, I mean, if you feel comfortable with it, you can still kind of maintain a connection to it. Um, you never have to just abandon all of your roots and past experiences. And there are so many other people out there with the same experience or very similar experience to you of being in and then being out. Yeah. That it almost forms its own independent tribe. tribe, you know, it's fed into by this other tribe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a silly way to kind of talk about it, but I think that that's made a big difference to me being able to go to uh, ex-Mormon meetups, different post-Mormon meetups, uh, whatever, and just connect with people about, yeah, the shared, the shared trauma, the shared experience. And I just, I know that uh, I see people online kind of talk about these uh, ex-Mormon communities being like a stopping point on your way out or whatever. And maybe that's true, but I know that at least for me, it's a very validating place and, and that's been essential. And how have you found those communities? I think mostly I've found those communities uh, through Meetup or on ex-Mormon Reddit, okay. which has a weekly Meetups thread every week. How did I not know about that? I don't know. I'm surprised how many people don't know yeah, about I it. Yeah, I mean, I'm on, I'm on ex-Mormon Reddit, yeah. but I had no idea. So for uh, most Western states and definitely Utah and a number of other states too, there are Meetups listed on a regular basis on ex-Mormon Reddit. 
And then, yeah, the meetup.com, just search for Mormon or ex-Mormon or whatever can definitely be useful too. Great. I think I, I kind of went a different direction. I, I didn't really connect to any post-Mormon anything until very recently. One of my cousins on the non-Mormon side married an ex-Mormon and she introduced me to this podcast and so interesting. <laughs> That's fascinating. <laughs> and then I I met someone who I think I met her like once at some YSA function. But we started talking on Facebook about different Mormon stuff. She'd left more recently and it made me start looking into it. I really hadn't, I think, fully processed everything. Uh for the first little while I was just running on this, I felt so happy to be free and to finally be myself. And I, I did pretty quickly connected with a friend from Western. I also went to Western Washington University, so I connected with her, and she's the priestess of this pagan coven. Fascinating. <laughs> so um, basically I just made a bunch of friends through another religious community, yeah, though it's a lot less serious and there's a lot more alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's interesting as as you think about just how easy it is to go from kind of one community mm-hmm. to another. You talked about dating someone and his friends becoming your friends. Yeah. And it's like you just kind of want to find that community uh-huh. wherever you can. I feel like I've been really lucky because part of what made me more comfortable to leave was moving to Seattle where I had a couple of friends already, including, you know, Oliver and Kristen, who are on the (laughs) podcast. And I had another friend, have another good friend here in Seattle who's still active in the church. And But to your point, Josh, around it's different with single friends. She's a single friend and very liberal in her thinking and doesn't care at all that I've left and we're still good friends and, like, it works out great. And it's nice because I do have a number of relationships because of how much I've moved that aren't, we met through the church, but they're not based in going to church together, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We're friends outside of that. And that's been really helpful for me to figure that piece out. But I haven't really made new friends. Like as I was thinking about this, prepping for the episode, work friends, I've got some really great work friends and we do get together and do things, but they're not like the same. It's not the same. I actually... I don't think I talked to anybody in my YSA ward anymore. And I was there for six years in the same ward in Seattle. And I knew a lot of people move on to the mid-singles group and everything. And it felt like without going to church together, the relationships just dissolved. We had nothing in common. It was only those friends that I had had at church who had already left but yeah. I was already friends with them. But yeah. the the act of Mormons kind of speaks to the depth, <laughs> the depth of the relationship. Yeah. Right. So what, Josh? Was your? I know you were in a family, which I hate that term so I, much. You were in yeah. a regular ward, a general whatever. attendance ward, a general attendance ward. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know you weren't in a single adult ward anymore. So what was that like for you in terms of leaving and friendships? Oh, that was a big factor in my leaving. Um, going to a like non-singles focused ward, it opened my eyes to what the rest of my life would be like were I to stick with the church 
program and I didn't like what I saw. I, it's not that there weren't great people there. It just felt like we were sort of an accessory to the main program. Yeah, and, as singles. Yes. Yes. And, oh my gosh, yes. And there were all these families and they were wonderful too, but it just seemed like uh, maybe it was that I had spent so long in the uh, singles wards that I also had kind of forgotten how to interact with non-single people in general. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, and so arriving in the regular ward and kind of realizing uh, the deficit I had of the skills to survive in this environment socially, it, it was very discouraging. And also I... I realized there was a different group of people in the regular ward of these older singles than who was in the singles wards in general. And it was much more dedicated people. It was people who seemed like they were really to, willing to live this life for the rest of their life. And I had been in the singles wards. It was this fun, for me at least, situation yeah. <laughs> I, I, understand. I understand people have a lot of frustrations with them. And I, to be honest, think they should be abolished. Yeah. For, but it for me, for it was working yeah. in a lot of ways to be in the singles wards. But this was, it was a much more dynamic group of people, I felt like. And the people in the, in the regular ward, the singles who had persisted past that transition point from YSA to regular ward... They were a different set of people. It seemed like I didn't fit as well among them. They were more likely to be more orthodox and just willing to stay this course for a long time. And and I just realized that I wasn't I wasn't willing to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I can t- relate to that. I realized that when I was 30, I realized if I keep doing what I'm doing, I will never have the things that I want out of life. Like I can't, I'm not going to get them here. Other than like being sad and hoping that maybe you're going to get married someday. I know. And and it puts so much pressure, right? In that situation that really doesn't need to be there. It's such, I think one of the things that's so um, interesting and unique about kind of our situation, our situation in quotes, the single person situation leaving the church is not only do we have to navigate just the general, we were Mormon, we've got to find community, we've got to, you know, figure that piece out, what does life look like afterwards, but also so much of our identity has been about being single because it's constantly like you think about general conference talks. We get talked to as single adults. So even still, you're so segregated and your identity is so single. And now that I've been out a couple of years, at least, I don't feel like that's my identity anymore, right? Like I don't, I'm not introduced as like this person who's not married. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Mormonism, that's like a thing, right? Yeah. And no one says that necessarily. Although, quick fun story, I moved to Tokyo and I went to church the first Sunday and this lovely, lovely, in quotes, <laughs> sister missionary, older, right, couple missionary came up to me. And her first question was, so what does your husband do? Not even, didn't even yeah. ask me if I was married. Just what does your husband do? Because a single woman wouldn't move overseas for a job by herself. And then the next Sunday, someone else came up to me and I introduced myself and they said, oh, you're the single sister, the, the, the single sister, right? That never happens in life now. 
it's so weird. Yeah. It's so weird. weird. And we've been so infantilized, too. Yeah. You know, being single. You feel like a teenager a lot. Yeah. And I feel like my interests are a little bit younger because we spent so much time doing, like, I don't know, Building like blanket forts when you're like 25. Trivia. Yeah. Or do you know any other adults that have scavenger hunts without alcohol involved? I know. Without alcohol involved is the key there. Like, just no, it's true. You do these infantile activities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And maybe that's a good way to talk about what's been great about leaving the church as a single person. Well, uh, maybe this is a negative spin on it, but. We are in a position where the mixed faith marriage uh, is not an issue for us. A hundred percent. And that seems to be a massive struggle for, for couples. Yeah. I When I was leaving the church, I was going through this whole kind of, I hit an age where I just thought, I don't know if I want to have kids at this age. Like, yes, I could still technically have them, but... There was so much relief at the same time going, and if I don't have them, I don't have to figure out how to raise them without the church, and Mm -hmm. I definitely don't want to raise them in the church. And like there was this level of relief that was just so nice in some ways, but it was so nice that I wasn't in that situation, especially like a mixed-faith marriage with children and figuring Mm -hmm. out how to do that. One potential advantage of leaving the church as a single person is that I can navigate this massive shift in my entire worldview independently that I can just look at the facts and what do I think is the truth about this and find my, my new way through life. Whereas somebody in a marriage is more likely to have to navigate that along with somebody else's worldview and coordinating those or whatever. Yeah. And like when I think about my experience, I waffled a lot. Right. Like I was in and then I was like, I'm going to go out. And then I was like, no, I'm back in. And I think of the emotional roller coaster that I might have taken someone on if someone had been with me. Whereas I just I was just on that ride by myself. (laughs) It was awful. But at least I wasn't dragging someone. I wasn't giving anyone false hope. I wasn't disappointing anyone. Totally. I can so relate to that. I think one of the other things from a just single experience that maybe made it easier in some ways, but also made it kind of sad that it was easier is that people aren't, when you're a single person in a family ward, you kind of aren't worried about so much. Like, I didn't have a ton of people wondering where I'd gone, why I wasn't there. It just was kind of like an easy thing. And maybe that's just, maybe that's not even just being single. Maybe that's being a single woman. The church didn't lose a priesthood holder, Mm -hmm. right? So there just isn't that same tracking. That was my experience, at least. I Granted, I only went to the ward here in Seattle a couple of times, but no home teacher reaching out, (laughs) none of those things, which was nice and painful. Yeah, I super slipped through the cracks because I was about to quote unquote graduate. So um, they were still bugging me for a few months. But then once I turned 31, if anyone contacted me out of the blue, like, hey, do you want to go visiting teaching? You know how they do. I'd be like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm not supposed to be in your ward anymore. You were put out to pasture. Yeah. (laughs) And... And it was kind of nice because, like, nobody in the family ward I lived in reached out or anything. They really didn't have time for me, which is 
fine because I didn't want to go. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So we've talked about community and that experience. Now I want to talk about our experiences with telling our families because it's definitely different. We've had an episode about, you know, telling spouses (laughs) and what that's like. We're not in that situation. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about telling families as on the podcast, but I want to talk about how it's a little different being single. So, Beth, what was your experience like? Well, I think I made a mistake. In, I did not think about how I was going to tell my family at all. I I really just one day, I went to the temple one last time. I just realized, nope, I can't do this anymore. I went home. I took off my garments. I tried coffee for the first time the next day. Like, I I was just you like, just nope, I'm done. And so I was on this kind of, I think I mentioned earlier, I was just on this high of like, I feel so good. I am free. I can, I have all these possibilities that I didn't have before. So when my mom called once a week, as she used to, Oh, (laughs) she was like, so what's going on? And I said, oh, hi. Well, guess what? So I've realized that the church was making me really unhappy. And so I I think I'm going to take a break from church for a while. I knew it was not going to be a break, but I, you know, right. Tempering it. And I, I just feel so much happier now that I made this decision. And I don't remember what my mom said that time. I do know another time she said, I wish this isn't what made you happy. Yeah. But my sister oh so helpfully told me later that ever since my mom has been like praying and crying, I mean, for two years. Wow. Um, And what about you, Josh? I'm curious your experience with, you know, telling – Realizing your parents weren't alive at this point, but in terms of the rest of your family and what that experience was like or how that impacted you. Yeah. So I would say that it's a plus and a minus to not have my parents around going through this. It's lifted a lot of the sense of like expectations or pressure or anything. I don't have my parents to answer to in the same way. Which, can I just pause for a second and say, how ridiculous is it that you would have had your parents to answer to? Yes. Right? Like, that's part of the problem. Yes. That we're we're grown yeah. adults. <laughs> like I said, I was 30 years old yeah. before I felt like I was old enough to disobey my parents. Right? It's, it's crazy that my dad had to be dead for me to even kind of contemplate going against his path for me. And I didn't I didn't even think that that was true, but the fact that my questions and ability to really start moving away from the church kind of emerged soon after he died told me that somewhere subconsciously I just didn't think it was an option while he was around. Yeah. And it wasn't until he was literally gone that that bubbled up into my into the set of possibilities I was considering. So, yeah, having parents be gone definitely can ease things in a way. But on the other hand, I wish so much that I had the opportunity to renegotiate, reconfigure this aspect of my relationship with my parents because I was so such a large part of our relationship was Mormonism. It was mm-hmm. like this 
thing that they saw as a real, and in many ways was a real gift that they gave to me and a way of life that they were recommending to me as the right way to live. And I wish I had the opportunity to to explain to them why I had come to different conclusions. But now it's all, it's the relationship lives in, in my mind and my imagination. And that's where those sorts of changes can only happen now. Yeah. I think that there are definitely, just as Mormons in general, I think we all worry about to some extent what our parents think, but and what our family members think. But it's, I feel like it's so much more intense being single because, I mean, the church treats us like children. Yeah. Even as a mid-single, there was a married couple who may have been 10 yeah. years younger than me overseeing, right, our activities. And so it's just this idea that, like, you have to ask permission to make your own life choices. And it when I think about becoming an adult in the non-Mormon world, there are markers and rites of passage, which include things like graduating college. Basically, that's it, right? You graduate college, you get your first job, you move in with roommates outside of the college experience, and you're an adult. Maybe we go to 25, you can rent a car for the first time, whatever, right? At 25, you can do every adult thing. Everyone in the world kind of accepts you're an adult. And these are all things that you can do by yourself. Yes, married or single. It's totally irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Whereas when I think about becoming an adult in Mormondom, marriage is it. Like marriage is the rite of passage. It doesn't matter if you are 18 or 28 Marriage is that rite of passage. Suddenly you're married and so you know, like you just know. And that I think is what makes this permission thing so, it just permeates kind of everything we do, which is why when I got a tattoo two weeks ago, I was like, it took me forever to show my my little brother because I still, there's still part of me, I think, that is feeling like I'm still the kid because I'm not married. Yeah. I can uh, relate to that in the sense that when I moved into my current place, it's my first time having a place of my own. I'm 36 years old. When when I did that, my my never Mormon brother-in-law was kind of shocked that I had never had my own place at that age. And I hadn't even thought about it. Maybe I just... Always wanted to live with roommates because that's just what you do in Mormondom. And anyway, no, I think that. And on the flip side, I did. I bought a house by myself when I was 25 and lived by myself. And I had so many people at church go, Well, aren't you going to get roommates? I'm like, I don't know. I don't need roommates. I can, like, I don't need roommates to afford this. No, I'm not going to get roommates. But it was, it's totally the expectation because you just, Continue that college lifestyle until you graduate to married adulthood, Mm -hmm. right? It's just what we do. Well, at the same time, a lot of my female friends who were turning 30, 31, I saw a lot of them prepping for their life as a perpetually single old maid for the rest of their life. They just, a few of them felt like it was just over and so they moved to the suburbs and got a house and and a dog and or a cat. Which, as a, as a forty something single in the suburbs with a dog, my life is not over. But I totally understand what but, you're saying. Yeah, that that attitude that it's like, okay, well, 
since I didn't get married, that's it. I'm just going to be an old maid. I'm right. going to be one of those old, like one of those weird 50 something ladies in the back of church. Yeah. Like that's just with it. all the cats. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have a cat too. <laughs> okay. So, so the discussion has been so interesting in terms of just our unique experiences. I think there's definitely things that apply across the board, right? Like everyone needs to find new community. It just is a little, it's different when you're single to find that community. Everyone has to navigate telling their families. Again, it's a little different in terms of how that goes for us. What I'd like to do now is just talk through for folks, for people who are navigating this transition as a single adult, specifically never married, what advice or tips you would have for them as you think about kind of the path you've gone down? I would suggest definitely go through your Facebook friends, hit up those people who left the church like three years before you did, and you were kind of sad that their life was taking such a disappointing direction. And you will probably... Well, if you liked them before, you probably, yeah, don't hit up some total jerk, but contact them. They, they've been through it and they know how hard it is. Right. And I really did find a lot of support through other post-Mormons who were single and who had done it before. Yeah. I loved your acknowledgement at the beginning of that, of the fact that we probably all were that person who was sad that we had some friend who just couldn't stay the course, which makes me sad now. But I know better (laughs) now, and so I do better, right? Yeah. Yeah. And what about you, Josh? Well, I would say, and maybe this, I'm trying to decide if it applies more to single people. I I do think we probably are a little more reliant on friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I would say also try to hang on to the relationships you have. Try try to do what you can to prevent your change in faith from being an obstacle to that relationship. I think that there've been relationships where I am uh, I'm afraid of what they're going to think if I'm if I open up to them about where that relationship's at and I've kind of let that get in the way or I've maybe avoided people even. I th- I feel like I I would say we want to give people the chance to be loving and responsive to us where we're at. Obviously, people will use their own judgment, but keeping those relationships alive as much as possible would be my tip. I love both of those pieces of advice. I I have been surprised as I've finally gotten comfortable opening up and sharing things at just how great my friends have been who are still very active friends. I'm going to go ahead and say I think that's a testament to my ability to pick friends. <laughs> but really, really, I think we've all seen examples of like the worst case scenario and it's scary, right? And so it gets it can be scary to open up and be vulnerable and share that knowing that you might get rejected, right? So I love that advice. So I guess my piece of advice would be to be vulnerable. And it's taken me a few years with a therapist to own that. (laughs) I had to get in the therapist plug. Hey, listeners, as you probably noticed, we haven't touched on dating or sex. Don't worry, it's coming. 
So join us for our next episode to hear Beth, Josh, and me talk specifically about dating and sex while walking away from Mormonism as single, never married people. As a reminder, you can join us in our Facebook group by searching for Wardless Podcast Group or email us at wardlesspodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and all the socials. You've been listening to Wardless, a post-Mormon field guide. For more information and for the show notes for this episode, visit wardlesspodcast.com. And if you found this episode helpful, please consider leaving us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. But the most helpful thing you can do is share this episode with someone you know. So please share the love and pass on our links. Thanks again for listening. We hope it makes you feel a little less wardless. I've been contemplating getting a cat. I really want a cat. They're awesome. I love cat. There is this like hang up inside of me that says, no, if you get a cat, you're just going to become up. this lonely old man. You'll be like Mr. Kruger and Mr. Kruger's Christmas. All he had was his cat. Yeah, I'm seeing a guy right now with two cats, and he's like not completely a hermit. <laughs> so, <laughs> All right, that's, that's, that's good to hear. <laughs>